Welcome, everybody, to the History in the Time of Pandemics, the podcast companion to the soon-to-be-released special issue of the ISIS Current Bibliography on Pandemics. I am Nirja Sankaran, co-editor of the special issue, along with Stephen Weldon, and will serve as the anchor or moderator for this series. The special issue was conceived in the wake of the first COVID wave as a first-stop resource for various humanist and social science scholars on different topics concerning pandemic disease. From the very beginning, the editors realized that the project would be a dynamic endeavor with a life extending well beyond the publication of the volume of essays with their bibliographies. This podcast is a next step in realizing that vision. Through it, we will be facilitating conversations with various participants, both authors of various contributions, as well as those who reviewed or commented on the essays in order to foster an ongoing engagement with these topics that are very relevant and seem like they will continue to be relevant for years to come. In our first episode, we will chat with participants who wrote and reviewed essays on topics that are fundamental to our understanding of pandemic and epidemic diseases in the present, past, and future contexts. The topics range in scope and focus, including such broad disciplinary categories, such as epidemiology, as well as very specific concepts, such as vaccinations, which has been in practically everybody's radar since the current pandemic began, as well as lesser known but hugely significant and very interesting ideas such as syndemics. Welcome, everybody. And I'll begin by asking today's participants to introduce themselves and their contributions to the project. Lucas, would you go first? Thank you so much. My name is Lucas Engelmann. I'm a Chancellor's Fellow and Senior Lecturer at the University of Edinburgh. My position here is in Science, Technology and Innovation Studies. And I'm also leading the Epidemi Lab, which is a place where we interrogate the ongoing transformation of epidemiology by a close inspection of its many different pasts. My contributions to the special issue in the end were two different essays. One essay that I had the, the pleasure to write quite early on in the pandemic was on syndemics. It grew out of a, of a concern with syndemics into what the title later became, con syndemics, co-infections and comorbidities, some interrogations of the edges of epidemiological historiography, and later on a second essay on the historiography of epidemiology in general. I should add, Lucas was also a reviewer for an essay, in addition to being an author of two of them. Clearly a big fan of the project. <laughs> Dora. Would you introduce yourself next? Thank you. And thank you for the invitation to this uh, podcast. My name is Dora Varga. I'm a professor of history and medical humanities at the University of Exeter and at Humboldt University in Berlin. And currently, I'm also a visiting researcher at the Max Planck Institute for the History of Science in Berlin. I'm a historian of epidemics and a historian of medicine. And I'm currently leading two uh, research projects, one based at the University of Exeter uh, called Connecting Three Worlds, which is funded by the Wellcome Trust, and another research project 
called Socialist Medicine, which is based at Humboldt University. My contribution to the project was a co-authored piece with Imogen Wilkins, who's an MA, who was at the time an MA student at Humboldt University. And we wrote a piece uh, which was quite challenging to write on vaccinations. Thank you. And Jacob. Hello, everyone. It's really a pleasure to be here and be part of this conversation. My name is Jacob Steer-Williams. I'm an associate professor in the Department of History and Medical Humanities at the College of Charleston in South Carolina in the USA. I'm a historian of public health and disease and, and epidemics, and I um, served in this project as, as a reviewer for two different essays. So for Lucas's essay on uh, epidemiology, which we'll have fun talking about here today, um, and for another, um, which was European perspectives on, on epidemics. Um, my broader work in the history of public health is on 19th and 20th century disease and public health. I'm also a associate editor of the Journal of History of Medicine and Allied Sciences. So it'd be really interesting to speak today too about you know, how this type of project compares to other types of scholarly review and publication venues. So really looking forward to our chat. Thank you very much, everybody. And I, too, am looking forward to hearing what you're going to say. I'm going to direct my first question to Lucas, since he was one of the earliest people to accept our invitation to contribute an essay and volunteer to review one, although what he ended up reviewing turned out to be a different one than the one he originally offered to review, since he ended up writing the second one as well, the one he offered to review. I requested the first topic, syndemics, because to me personally, it was a brand new term and I felt it would address and bring lesser seen literatures to the attention of scholars who would be attracted by our resource. And the second one, as I just mentioned, Lucas undertook on epidemiology because it was a monster topic in many ways. Uh, and uh, so large that people were volunteering to do bits and pieces, but nobody was taking it on to bring a comprehensive look at the literatures or even a fraction of the literatures. So, Lucas, could you talk a little bit about the two topics themselves, define the territories maybe for our listeners, and also provide some insights on the similarities and differences in your approach and experience of compiling the two bibliographies and writing the essays? I'll try to do all of that in very few uh, minutes, <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll do my best. So I think, I, think the, the, I, I jumped immediately at, at, the, at the opportunity to write about syndemics in this context. And I think that's, that's exactly what I want to talk about a bit. It's like to some social scientists in particular, the term syndemics is by now quite familiar. And it's been a term that has been used in the social science, particularly in medical anthropology, since the late 90s, since, since it was more or less defined by, by Meryl Singer, I think in 1996, through a very important publication to describe epidemics of infectious diseases in their co-occurrence with epidemics of social phenomena such as drug addiction or such as violence, and to provide a framework to think these kind of epidemics of different kinds, if you want, some of infectious diseases, some of behaviors, some of uh, um, maybe other substances, 
describe these syndemics as interlocking and interdependent processes from a social science perspective. And I think since then, we've seen quite a lot of social science scholarship that has engaged with a number of different syndemics to use this term to productively engage with, with uh, various kinds of epidemics in a broader interdisciplinary and I would say like cross-domain kind of um, approach. But what struck me was that this is a term that so far has been mostly bypassed in the historiography of epidemics or in the history of medicine at large. And so the, the task of this, this little essay was to try to bring these fields into conversation and try to use the existing scholarship on syndemics to bring some of the problems that they bring forward and some of the, I would say, conceptual issues when thinking about the history of epidemics into the fold of how we in the history of medicine commonly think about the history of epidemics and what that might change. And one thing that I highlight in the essay and that I keep highlighting in many other places is that there is a very strong convention and sometimes it's so strong it's almost a kind of like the, the, the it seems quite exclusive in the historiography of epidemics and that is you write the historiography of epidemics as biographies of specific epidemics. There are books about AIDS, there are books about TB, there are books about typhoid fever, as <laughs> some might know here, yeah, there are books about polio, so we're all guilty in that, yeah? each and every one of us. And it's not a problem, obviously not, but it is, a, it, it is a rather remarkably stable convention how the historiography tends to reify and reestablish those kinds of frameworks of link, thinking about the history of epidemics. And syndemics brings a different tack to that and offers an opportunity to maybe rethink some of the ways in which we prioritize the main actors of the narratives that we want to tell. Does anybody have any questions specific to what Lucas has been talking about? To pose a challenging question, then, uh, you know, if we make it, what you describe is basically making it more complex of what we're looking at and what we're studying. But it's already so complex and so difficult to get a really thorough understanding of any epidemic, even if you only look at one single disease. What does that look like in reality if, if, we, if one wants to really follow this? I think that's a really good question. And it's one that I, I, I've been thinking a lot about. And I think this is, um, we, have, we have a number of different options there, I would say. It's like one, one of the options is to, to, to fully embrace the complexity. And in some ways, I would say, like, follow the footsteps of what, what mathematically modeler do. Yeah? And say, like, like, none of the materiality out there matters. Yeah? It doesn't matter if it's a pathogen. It doesn't matter if it's an idea that circulates. Everything circulates in various ways. Everything, inter everything impacts on each other. And all we can do is kind of like try to develop some pathways in which it might make, seem to make sense to connect the dots and create some nice graphs that then in and of themselves are supposed to say something. So we might, of course, like if we do that and if we follow that model, we might end up with very unsatisfying results that are not much more than quantitative estimates of something that has spread at some point. Yeah? So... But I think what the other options is is to 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 think about the this as a bit of a way of of decentralizing the the disease and the category of disease in the way that we tell stories. And I think I think that is that comes quite close to what we are, at least in the in a large part of the history of medicine, are already doing. Thinking about the history of epidemics as sampling devices to tell diff, 
to tell other stories that are already part of that, you know? And I feel like in, in, in strongest terms, like this is, this is an emphasis for that, to do that even more confidently and even more emphatically, I guess is the word, to tell a story about an epidemic so that we can tell the stories about all the kind of factors that we can see and that we can make sense of that bring that epidemic to something that has become a issue, a problem, a public health issue or a crisis. Yeah. I've been rereading this Syndemics essay, Lucas. Uh, so thank you for all the work you put into it for something I'm working on right now. So with the Journal of the History of Medicine, um, I put together a special issue um, of rethinking pandemic and epidemic method methodologies. So how we even approach the study of these things, um, which I think has been like a really fruitful kind of rethinking moment where we are that we can inflect with with all of the amazing work that historians of medicine and public health and science and technology have done in trying to situate COVID-19. And one of the things that that I found that I find really useful about the idea of syndemics is, and this is something that actually Dora has written about as well, is rethinking the kind of episodic nature of of epidemics and and the way in which our historiographies and methods particularly the kind of disease biography methods have tended to to situate in time and space epidemics as episodic and and i think like one of the things that syndemics does as a concept is methodologically forces us to break from that method and that idea being two different things and the other that that i that i'm sort of playing around with at least in my essay which is a sort of broad framing essay to start the special issue is is using methods from disaster studies and thinking about the idea of slow disasters and i wonder like either lucas or dora what you thought about how syndemics and slow disaster maybe can work there's a sort of venn diagram there and methods and approach that we can use to sort of breaking from these some of these conventional ways of approaching the study of pandemics and epidemics so just reflecting on that, I, I, I remarked in the beginning that it was challenging to write about uh, vaccination and partly for that reason of, you know, just pinpointing what that is and where it's bound, where uh, either temporally or, you know, in its object, it's, um, it was very, very challenging. And I think there is a lot to say about, um, uh, about breaking boundaries and these, and these ideas that, that bound us to very, very widespread and and maybe wishful thinking of, of how epidemics, um, you know, what they are and what they mean. Um, but I still find it very challenging of then, you know, how actually to do the doing of, of that and how to build a narrative and an analysis sidestepping that um, kind of the, the boundaries. You asked for one example, and I think maybe there are many examples for for. For syndemics, the uh, concept, as it was defined by Mary Singer, is deeply embedded in the HIV-AIDS crisis as a history that was, I think, for a long time, the main paradigm to think not only about pandemics and epidemics, but also to think about a pandemic that needs to be seen in its very specific geographic context as a pandemic that in those contexts has very different kinds of profiles once you look at the wider determining factors of the kind of numbers that you see. And there is one example is, is and that goes more like towards co-infection than rather than to syndemics, is, is that TB is the major killer for people with HIV on a global scale. And so you have an already de facto interlinkage between the, the long 
histories of TB and the not so long histories of HIV that if you look beyond the European and North American uh, areas, you cannot disentangle those stories, but you need to tell them somewhat conjoined. And that provides us with a, with a lot of difficulties because if you look at the historiography of TB and HIV AIDS, these are two neatly piles of books that do rarely intersect at all. Yeah? But there are other examples, I think, in all our scholarship we probably could could dig into there there is if you if you go towards the early 20th century history of plague you have a question of on the one hand of of a history of a of an, of an infectious diseases disease that reemerges after it was thought to be kind of like a story of medieval europe but it reemerges in a totally different setting and brings with it a, a whole different set of questions around maritime transport, around the question of the animal vector, around the questions of poverty. There's a lot of questions of ethnicity and race that are associated. There's a lot of questions, especially in the American West, there's a lot of questions about housing that are directly associated with the with the foci of the emergence of plague. And these are not just kind of, it's, and I think the trick with sandemics is to not say that this is just a social determinant of the disease and therefore it needs to be kind of prioritized over other things, but to open the, the lens, open the frame and be able to tell those stories as interlocking stories that mutually, that have effects onto each other that not just, that don't just go in one direction. Yeah. So, and I think that's, that's the power that lie in that framework. Could you also relate it to the current topic that's in everybody's minds, which is COVID-19? I think the syndemics of COVID-19 have been described in some detail in the scholarship, there are um, some cases where you where you have where you can connect this directly to the to the to the examples that I just mentioned. So in South Africa, I think there's some good good research that has shown that there the TB and HIV epidemic are actually quite co-occurrent with the hotspots of COVID infections, and that there seem to be mechanisms at place that are not quite clearly understood. Again, another strength of this framework, you can do kind of like the work of describing the co-occurrence of different epidemics in the same places at the same time without needing a full-on working explanation of the mechanics that drive those. But I think you can also think, uh, if you take, for example, the British, British example of COVID-19, I think it's much more appropriate to look into questions of employment and which kind of um, employment strata, you know, which kind of sections of the workforce were more vulnerable to the infection with COVID-19. Bus drivers was one of the factors that were, were brought up a lot in here. Another factor was delivery drivers, which, were, which not only had due to the, the uh, precarious circumstances of the job, had to show up for the job, but also continued to be uh, um, faced with high infection rates. And another example of a syndemic, of course, is the emergence of mental health cluster in the wake of COVID-19 infections and in the wake of uh, lockdown measurements as a reaction to COVID infections. So you have multiple cascades in which syndemic simply allows you to, to, to create a narrative framework to capture these stories. Thank you, Lucas. I'm going to give you a break. And rather than make you talk about the second question I had. I'll return to that because I feel like since we're talking about one specific issue and Dora mentioned uh, writing about the historiography of vaccinations was rather challenging in this context. Dora, could you tell us a little bit about 
your essay and how did it develop the bibliography itself? And, you know, I gave you this rather bold request. Could you write one on vaccines or vaccinations? And you, uh, together with your co-author, did a really effective job. I mean, both reviewers and reader uh, listeners can easily go see the reviews were very uh, forthcoming in their praise of your essays. So what areas do you see overlapping with your contribution? That's one of my questions. And what did you find yourself leaving out of the bibliographies maybe, or of discussions? Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, this was such an amazing uh, thing to think about in the middle of the pandemic. And it took quite a lot of time to actually figure out how we can, um, you know, get a grip on the subject because it is, as you know, we've just talked about, it is a bit of a history of everything. And first of all, it was thinking about, okay, are we writing about vaccines or are we writing about vaccination? And, you know, where, uh, how, what does that say about how we think about things? And uh, because that, I think, I think is important in, in thinking about where the boundaries of that subject lie. And, uh, and then, you know, realizing that, of course, it is really, really the history of everything is the history of biomedical sciences of how, you know, vaccines are produced and uh, of microbiology, of virology, animal studies, where the materials into the vaccine are coming from. Then it is a, pharma- a history of pharmaceutical companies. It is a history of inequality and, uh, and a history of political control. And uh, and then you have you know the the, the 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 social history of it all of how a vaccine as an object you know is basically inseparable from the vaccinators the vaccinees the bodies um, and uh, and uh, and the infrastructure. So basically, what we had was this big blob of of everything, and uh, and it was a very difficult but rewarding process to think together with Imogen uh, about you know how we then try to to look into this uh, in more detail and at the same time give a kind of overview of of the historiography. And uh, when you know Lucas was describing how stacks of books are you know separate. You could have on vaccines, you know, there is a very particular set of books and historiography that have vaccine as a main target. But then you have millions of stacks of books um, on virology. You have stacks of books on biographies of, of, of pathogens, right? You have stacks of books on, on epidemics that are all, all relevant to this. So the, the challenge was to find a select a number of lenses, and we chose three through which we can actually approach and, and give a give an overview. So it had to be restricted and it had to be um, targeted. And uh, so what we decided to do is to focus on space and time. And and this, you know, for me uh, specifically was a very interesting thing to think about because it brought two things together that I've been thinking about quite separately. And one has been um, the politics of disease and health um, through this research that I'm involved in, in looking at socialism and the socialist world in in, the, in global health. So that kind of the geographies of that and how that matters of where, what kind of political context um, vaccination is being uh, developed and rolled out and how people think about it. 
And then also through time, temporality, because I've been also thinking about, you know, what kind of flipping around um, a bit how we think about epidemics to to shift um, uh, attention to the after the end. And this has been something that Lucas and I have been talking about for for a long time and uh, and seeing what that mean, what kind of ideas of time are encoded in vaccination what are the expectations of how this will be developed and rolled out and actually what is the end goal of, of a vaccine so this is the this is where we try to uh, frame it and of course one uh, other issue that that was just you know shouting at us and that we had to make a very important part of the essay was vaccine resistance and vaccine hesitancy, because it is especially reflecting on COVID-19, but also because it is always um, a part of vaccination is why um, that sometimes doesn't happen, um, why people would be uh, against vaccination or how it's contested and how it's negotiated. So these were the three big uh, sections that we decided to explore. Which meant that we, there was a lot of overlap with all the, you know, with epidemics, with with a lot of the the essays in the in the collection, but uh, we also had to leave out quite a bit, unfortunately. Thank you. Actually, that will bring me back to Lucas to talk for a few minutes on your epidemiology essay, because there too, I imagine you had to leave out a lot, include other stuff. How did you make those decisions? And how was the experience different, in a way, uh, than writing about syndemics? Uh, it was agonizing. I was just thinking when, when, when listening to Dora that, that I think a lot of the um, work that one does in these bibliographic essays is to go through the literature of what I enjoyed reading and trying to build out from there how that kind of like sits in the wider landscape and how that, how that kind of creates almost like a, like a reference networks in which you are the, the 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 first node and the other nodes then kind of like pop out from there outwards and that was kind of i think that was in the end the approach that was the only one that worked for me in the epidemiology essay they said like i the only way i can write this is to have a highly biased view that is exactly the view that i have and that's the view that i have of the kind of more the, the way how this 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 landscape of of, of literature um, can be clustered. I decided to cluster it in, in those accounts of the history of epidemiology that are written by epidemiologists themselves. And accounts of epidemiology are written by historians. But it was, of course, clear that this is a somewhat arbitrary division that doesn't really do justice to everyone that finds itself in there. But such is the fate of classification. And then from there on, it was a question really of trying to find a way to to cluster the 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 history historiography of the field of epidemiology rather than the historiography of epidemiology as a practice and that made it somewhat easier so really focusing on those texts that i know of and that i am familiar with but also those that i'm not necessarily familiar with that focus on epidemiology as a as an emerging sci- field as an emerging science in the 20th century and as um, a set of practices that lead to some people calling themselves epidemiologists and then also histories about those epidemiologists. So that was the kind of like narrowing factor. But at the same time, I'm very aware you can tell the story completely different 
if you want. You could tell the story entirely, as many of the practitioners do, from a mathematical angle and build the networks of epidemiology completely around the kind of questions of how certain ideas from physics and chemistry have informed epidemiological thinking in the early 20th century. You could tell the whole story by looking geographically very different, and I'm sure there is literature not in English that is hugely relevant and very important from Russia, from Latin America, that I can could not include due to existing language barriers, which I hopefully also made quite clear in that essay. But so these were some of the considerations to narrow that down into somewhat manageable task. Still enjoyed it, though. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So I... um. I've been thinking about both of your your essays and and your reflections here just now. And one of the things that strikes me, um, and you know, both as a preface, Lucas and Dora and I have had these started some of these conversations in the past through um, my work in co-hosting COVID calls podcast. And you know, what I wondered about both the epidemiology essay of Lucas's and the vaccination essay of Dora's is, you know, you're you're doing a couple things at once each, which is one trying to sort of like frame out these enormous fields of of study and historiographies but but two is like the the huge elephant in the room for all of us doing any kind of human humanistic work during the pandemic is you were you were dealing with you know how to frame these topics that have immediate political concern and life and death concern and in real time while you're writing them and so like you know lucas you and i have chatted in the past and i wondered what your reflections are now like before covid 19 I would reckon to say that the vast majority of people had never even heard of the word epidemiology. And I say that because so many people, when I hear them talk about it in even today in in real time, everyday speak, they can barely pronounce the the word. Um, and and you know, but but like they really don't understand what this field is or what it refers to. Um, and then Dora, like I think about your essay, and and while vaccination in the 21st century is all pervasive, I heard so many people in everyday conversations in the world just talk about why does why do vaccinations have to be so political, you know, around COVID-19. And like as scholars, we we know the answers to this and your essay does a brilliant job of sketching it out. But I wondered for both of you, like, how much did you reflect on the sort of immediacy of the consumption of these topics while both framing them out as, as as scholarly ones? Because I think like in part, that's the sort of goal of, of this project too. Thank you for that, Jacob. I think I think that's such a great point. And, and also picking up on what uh, Lucas was saying, I think that's kind of, okay, this is where we are coming from to it, right? We are all, um, you know, uh, coming with our own interests and our own uh, academic agenda, if you will, to how we frame these uh, enormous uh, fields and try to, uh, give an overview. I think for me, it was a huge um, opportunity for learning as well and learning my own limitations um, uh, in this. Uh, and that was, you know, just coming back to the to the point of, of language and to realize, you know, how much there is actually out there that we don't necessarily know. And, and that made me think a bit more, you know, as you're putting together a bibliography and and an overview of the of the history. It's also an exercise of power and who you're, you know, highlighting and who you are including and who is left out. And that, you know, to be very conscious of that work, but also very conscious of of the, you know, and at the end, the geographical spread of where that scholarship comes from. So I think that was that was a real um, wake up call to 
to to think about it. And the other point, which which is kind of directly connected to that, is is the politics of it all and the immediacy of of that. I think in this as well, I've become more less and less ap apologetically political, <laughs> and that I I found that that uh, that that can you know sometimes raise eyebrows um, to uh, to say the least in, in certain academic contexts. Uh, but uh, but I think that is very important to address head on because it is, um, you know, as as we know, it's always been political. But uh, but I think um, there is no reason why we should pretend or or inhibit some kind of remote objectivity around this when uh, we could rather I maybe more usefully engage with the politics of it and make that much more present and much more clear. Thank you, Dora. In fact, in a future episode, we will be featuring a speaker who wrote an essay on politics. Meanwhile, Lucas, did you have anything to respond to what Jacob said? I think it brings me to, to the kind of question of what, the, what these essays are supposed to do in times of an epidemic crisis. In one way, and responding to, to Jacob, I think it's this kind of, it's a question that remains a somewhat open question, right? And, and it's not easy to answer what, and what these essays will do and what they can do. I know they uh, work as a valuable resource in a place where they might not always be as visible as they could be as such resource. They are kind of places that you turn to, at least in my case, I did, and my colleagues here did turn to those essays to look at some of the kind of to just get a quick grasp of what already is out there. What are the major themes that you might pick up on before you develop your next piece on X and Y, responding to some of the questions that might have come up in this pandemic, relating to some of the issues in this pandemic. And and it feels certainly in in my corner here is that that you can't cannot write any article without somehow fiddling COVID nineteen into the first paragraph, even if the rest of the story goes somewhere else. Yeah. And hopefully we'll move beyond we move beyond that at some point in the future. But the other point I think is also, at least to me, is that that what these essays do is they 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 shape up a field. They bring a field together. They bring they bring the historiography of epidemics and pandemics into a visibility with each other that didn't quite exist before. We all were Kind of like a crowd, at least in our case, this is we're not, we we all have have had lots of chats with each other on lots of conferences that we meet, but usually these were history of medicine conferences. Sometimes these were conferences in SDS or in other places, but there is this community of people working on the history of pandemics and epidemics, historians of epidemics or pandemics, as we all introduced ourselves, that have come to be somewhat what's the word for that i wouldn't say i would i wouldn't quite say established but like on the way of establishing ourselves as a as a global community of scholars in that way and that's certainly something that these essays have helped a lot with anybody else want to add to this i mean um just quickly you know one of the things that that i've been like meta conscious about throughout the entire pandemic and, you know, anyone who's even done a cursory glance at this collection of essays um, or is familiar with the historiography of, of epidemics and pandemics is familiar with 
is that, you know, in the, the classic example is the scholarship that came out of the, the mid-1980s to the late 1990s, specifically, you know, responding in many ways to the HIV AIDS crisis. And so much of that scholarship on the history of disease and the emergence of, you know, disease biographies as a kind of methodological approach to go back to Lucas's comment, you know, in, in that era, it was always like an introductory paragraph about HIV AIDS or an epilogue about HIV AIDS, even though the topic was on something vastly different in, you know, historical project. And I feel like we've both done, we're, we're in the middle of doing that now, but I hope that we're also doing it in a different way because I think we, you know, I look back on that scholarship and think about like some of Charles Rosenberg's work just for as an example, because it's one that many people are familiar with. And it seems very dated to the 80s and the early 90s. And, and I, I wonder like if there's some inevitability that our scholarship now will feel like that in 40 years as well. But I, but I also hope that we, we are not just reifying the same sort of pitfalls of, of those approaches as well. If I may, in the end, just maybe um, one way to think about it is that uh, that this uh, pandemic has given an opportunity to take stock of what has been done, um, which is not something that one would usually do, uh, you know, beyond one's own research when you're trying to, you know, get a feel for the field. But as a collective effort, I think that is that is unique, and I think that that is what there's huge value in you know what what has been produced and what the covid-19 has given an opportunity for and presumably you know in 40 years there will be an, another occasion to to you know revise and and look back and maybe move forward but i think there is a kind of building on and uh, engaging with rethinking process going on that that i feel that this might be a crucial moment in thank you I'd like to turn now and ask you all about your experience of the open peer review system that we used for this collection. Like the project itself, this was very much the result of Stevens, who's absent from this conversation, but still very much a meta presence. Uh, it was his vision, and he was very keen that we go ahead with it. It met with some initial skepticism, especially from some members of our advisory board. And at one point, we agreed to stop using the label of reviewers, although we eventually slid back to that terminology. Now, most of you have experienced the process now from either or both ends. And could you comment on the value of this open system for a project like this one? Jacob, being that you've reviewed a couple of essays, would you go first on this? And then please, Dora and Lucas, also chip in with your experiences. Yeah, thanks. This is obviously a really important question for um, for this project. And I think it's one that um, is not new to this project, of course. It's one that I think is an ongoing question about, about scholarship in general. And, and what I saw as the real value of an open peer review system that these bibliographical review essays followed is really an opportunity. You know, Dora just mentioned this and talking about, I guess Lucas did too a while back, about, you know, how what the COVID-19 pandemic has, has enabled is a kind of stepping back moment to assess the field and also to, to expand our networks, our scholarly networks. And, you know, that's something that I have found very empowering in the last three years is forging new relationships with scholars around the world, 
through all of the, the various social media interactions, but also through public conversations, through podcasts, through online conferences, there's been a kind of new connectivity of, of both scholarly connections and also public and, and open conversations with various public audiences. And more than anything else, I found that to be incredibly generative and new for my own ideas, um, but I think for our field as well. And so I think the value of, of this approach that, that ISIS has done has been to provide another venue to make and to extend those kind of connections. Obviously, I don't think, you know, double-blind peer review is, is going anywhere soon within our, our scholarly protocols of publishing, but I do see an enormous value in, in an open peer review system um, because it really, um, at least as in a reviewer, I don't think I was any, you know, Lucas, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I was any less critical of um, in my reviewing process and my assessment of the two essays that I, that I reviewed. But I did feel because I, I, I am familiar with the two authors that, you know, that I reviewed of their essays that I did feel connected to them. You know, Lucas, you know, you, you, you had the sort of visual model of how you approach the epidemiology essay of you starting as the node. And I think there's a really interesting way in which like, as a reviewer, I both inherently knew that that was the approach, but also could, because I knew you could help, I think, to be able to provide a kind of analysis then also maybe a couple you know helpful points to move move the essay forward and i think that that model of scholarship is really um really quite innovative and cool and and as opposed to you know being against it i think we should find more venues to do this sort of thing i have to think about like like on on a certain social on a certain social media website that we no longer advertise on or about Uh, someone someone left a very short blog because it's a short blogging social media website. Uh, note that, that it would be nice as a historian to be able to publish albums and have collaborating artists on these albums. Yeah. <laughs> and I think in a way you described exactly that right now. Like in a, in a many way, the open review process does that. It's kind of like allows you to arrive at a result that has a kind of like multiple authors on that And it's not just kind of like one has written it and the other person has kind of like given a bit of a support here and there, but you end up with a result that is kind of a collaboration and has this kind of way of using almost like a convention that that, that is very common in the musical world, yeah? to bring things together, to produce something quite different that you would be producing if it was you on your own and if you had the kind of privacy of the double blind peer review feedback in which you can make very different choices of how you deal with your feedback as well yeah and i think i was in the very i think in in both of these essays in the position of receiving very generous high quality fantastic feedback again i think the public nature of the feedback shifts things in that direction as well but for for genre like this summative essays that provide an overview and are trying to create a snapshot of the state of a field it's a fantastic instrument to create more cohesion um, towards the greater good for all right and and hopefully great albums 
I have to agree. For me, it was making visible the conversation and the, and all the all the work that goes into producing an essay um, of any kind, basically, of of how many people are involved in, and and the actual actual work that they put in and it felt also that that kind of interconnectedness was was wonderful because you know even you know i wrote a co-authored essay so i was not writing alone we were in constant conversation with each other but it still can feel like you're kind of writing something you send it off into the world you you get some kind of feedback you kind of deal with it on your own and 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 go through this process without actually being connected to the people you were actually in conversation with. And this way, it was wonderful to see not only my own, but to see other people's conversations as well. And I think that was fantastic to see how ideas evolve in real time and how essays evolve from one version to the next. And that, uh, that I found uh, very, very interesting and, uh, and the kind of um, very positive way of, of uh, experiencing. I'm not sure that it would work in all uh, contexts uh, because, of course, it brings up you know all kinds of other issues of power and uh, and so on. But uh, but for this project, I think it was a wonderful idea, and I'm I'm really glad. I, I was skeptical at first, but I was very happy to take part in this this way. Thank you. I know I'd requested you to also be a reviewer, but then that essay never happened, so unfortunately we didn't get the chance. But Lucas, you actually also reviewed an essay and it was related somewhat i think to your topic of epidemiology could even be considered a subset or, or there's overlaps right could you talk a little bit of your experience as a reviewer rather than being reviewed which you already did and pointed out the generosity of your reviewers a very positive experience. That is no question. I think the I would say what what, what makes it interesting is that that you approach the review on a very uh, on a very different level, because I'm not saying kind of like that you suspend your critical faculty and go in with a kind of um, um, what are the nice things that I can say after I have to swallow all the grievances. No, but the difference the difference really is that you know the author. And you know who the author is. That's the first thing. And you also, so you can identify where this is coming from and how this is sitting in someone's scholarship, how this is sitting in someone's career trajectory and so on and so on. And that gives you a lot of information to adjust how you approach this review and how you use your review to support the writing of this text. And I think that I found really, really useful and made actually reviewing this a lot, a lot easier than reviewing some of the articles um, through Double Blind that I had on my desk. Of course, also it it requires a different level of of attention to the kind of intentions that are already been in place and a kind of way of engaging with with the with the overall trajectory of the essay because you want to. I guess the reviews were written in my case, and I felt like looking at the reviews of. Most of the articles that I've seen, the reviews were written with a kind of aspiration to get things into a shape so they are contributing to the to the overall goal of the special issue. So there were certain goals already very clear. And again, that's a different factor from having a double-blind peer review article from Journal X, where you have to have a very different look at the kind of goals that are stated within the paper and you have to 
review the paper on the remits that the paper itself kind of like offers and so on and so on. So I think what I want to emphasize is like, I found this process very interesting, how open review in this case necessitates a very different framework of thinking through the scholarship in front of you, but also how it shifts the way you relate to the author once you know him. What it doesn't change, and that I think is the important part, is that you still have to engage with the scholarship as best as you can. And that provides you with the same challenges you have in, in double-blind peer review is taking the kind of issues that you have and then finding a way to articulate those issues as fairly but also as strongly as you can so that they are out there and can be uh, acknowledged and hopefully also incorporated. Thank you. I've asked all the main questions I wanted to, but I wondered what you had for each other, comments and questions for each other before we end the session. No, I mean, I think the big, the big question that we all need to be asking ourselves and everyone that's contributed to this, this project um, and also will read this project is how, you know, this, in the end, at the end of the day, like what this set of bibliographical essays will do is provide a kind of snapshot. And I think like, you know, what I, what I hope that we are all asking ourselves is how can we continue to have these conversations and, and to do this kind of collaborative work that, that I think is the big question so that we don't, that we don't need another global pandemic to be able to take this kind of snapshot of our field. Maybe, maybe that's the question that we really need to ask. Perfect. Thank you all very much. It's been very illuminating. We hope that this uh, special issue will be out within the next month and a half and uh, that then people will get to actually read the final versions. Just as a point to be made, every version of the essay and the comments on those versions of the essays as well as the accompanying bibliographies are available via the ISIS Current Bibliographies website. The consortium will be providing the link. This has been a recording of a consortium of history of science, technology, and medicine based in Philadelphia. The conversation we had today was on April 24th, 2023. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, everyone.